What a wonderful reminder this morning as we approach God's word that we are, in fact, all sinners saved by grace. So by his grace we come together this morning and I invite you to uh, stand as we read together from God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 1. You'll find that on page 1227. I'm going to actually back up and begin at verse 7 as we get that whole uh, paragraph. (laughs) But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your word that you have revealed to us and spoken to us that we might know you and know ourselves before you and know how you would have us live as your children. So guide us this day by your word. Speak, Lord, I pray, through this word this day. uh, Give grace and humility to your servant and give us ears to hear that we might be informed and conformed to the will of our Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we're talking today about seen and unseen. And I don't know why this came to me, but as I was preparing the message for this week, the word spin came to my mind. You know, we know spin, like a top spins and that sort of thing. But, but spin has taken on a whole different kind of meaning in our contemporary world. Uh, it is listed in the dictionary as a transitive verb, informal, and it means to present information in a particular way, especially in a way that makes something seem good or less bad. Example, how do you think the candidate will spin this story? And I thought of that because Paul's ministry is being subjected to spin. There are hooper, super, 
apostles out there who point to Paul's humiliation to the very <coughs> persecutions and difficulties that he faces and that we'll be looking at more a bit later. But they looked at those things and said, come on, Paul, if you really were God's chosen spokesman, you would be having your best life now. And it doesn't appear that you are. And so the spin that's put on Paul's ministry is a negative one. It kind of reminds me of, of the story my uncle used to tell. He loved his, back in the day when the Cold War was still on, there was apparently a race between the fastest American horse and the fastest Soviet horse. And the American horse won the race. Won the, race. the American papers reported, U.S. horse wins Challenge Cup. The Soviet press reports, Challenge Cup result, mighty Soviet horse comes in second, American horse comes in next to last. <laughs> That's spin. That's spin. Making something seem good or less bad. So what do we do in a world of spin? Well, in a world of spin, the, the inerrant, infallible word of God is really our only sure source of truth and, and of a guide to life. So over against the spin of the false apostles and, and teachers of Paul's day, as well as over against those of our own day, we want to look at Paul's words this morning in, in 2 Corinthians. Now, I've read, as I said, verses 7 of chapter 4 through 5, 1, but, but really, to, to gain the, the scope of Paul's thinking, we almost have to go back to almost the beginning of chapter 2. So half of chapter 2 and all of 3 and all of 4 and half of chapter 5 is really Paul's argument, his, his challenge to the Corinthians and, and his, by that very nature, challenge to us as well to, to examine all of the reality, all of reality, seen and unseen, in making the kinds of decisions of what really matters in, in the totality of life, that, that this world and the world to come need to be considered as we make our way through life. So to live wisely, I'm going to suggest as we look at this, to live wisely, we must take all of reality, seen and unseen, into account, and not just the things that appear to our eyes, because reality, this world is made up of seen and unseen. So Paul's Paul's opponents, Paul's critics, would stress appearances. Paul, you're, you're just not a world beater. Paul, you have no great significance, no great stature. Um, you, Paul, are probably a loser, not only in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. And so Paul speaks to that criticism, to that challenge, and he defends his his ministry against those who would look solely at appearances, at the things that are seen. Uh, he acknowledges uh, earlier on in the <coughs> chapter that, that clear back in chapter 2, he says, I had a door open for me in Troas, which is on the Asian continent. He crosses over instead from what would be modern-day Turkey to Greece, to Macedonia. And there he has a door open for him for the gospel. And so he says there in Macedonia, back in chapter 2, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So, so the picture is one of a triumphal procession. There are spices, there are sacrifices, there are aromas being raised in honor of the God. But 
that aroma smells differently to those who are perishing than it does to those who are being given life. And Paul says, in the face of that, who's sufficient? In other words, how could anybody be significant enough, important enough, powerful enough to make these things happen? Certainly not me, he says. It's only the power of God. And so it's before God and in his power that we speak. He goes on then to to compare the message that he brings, the message of God being known in Jesus Christ. In terms of the Old Testament example, Moses had gone up on the mountain, received the Ten Commandments, comes down and his face was radiant from being in the presence of God, and so he has to put a veil on it. Now that makes sense on the front end because it's too bright to look at, but even the Old Testament acknowledges that, that that radiance faded began to fade. So one of the reasons that the veil was there was so that not only people couldn't see the brilliance, which they couldn't stand to begin with, but they couldn't see the fading of that brilliance. So that that old law of the covenant that came down, Paul says that came with glory. Glory so much that the people couldn't look on it. But compared to the glory that's being made known in the gospel, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that glory amounts to nothing. In fact, he says that glory is coming to an end. If what was being brought to an end came with glory, glory, verse 11 of chapter 3, how much more will what is permanent have glory? And so he says, we look now with unveiled face. In other words, two ways. People can see in believers, Paul as well as us, people can see the glory of God in the knowledge of Jesus Christ in believers, and at the same time, they are unveiled so that those who are being brought to life are able to see that. So they both testify in their own being, in their own person of this glory, and at the same time, their ministry, the proclamation of the gospel, has that glory. And Paul then says in the beginning of chapter 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, if you'll just quick, if you've got your Bibles, turn quickly a page over to chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 6, of uh, 2 Corinthians. Because as, as Paul speaks about the resistance, this is what people would have seen as they looked at his ministry, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 6, 2 Corinthians. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In other words, if if you want to see best life now, you want to see the power of God at work, look at this, says Paul. Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. That's a great resume, isn't it? If, If you want to see a successful apostle, Paul says, don't look here. Or on the other hand, really do look here because it's not about me, he says. It is about the power of God at work in me. So you look at Paul and you look at his ministry and what is seen looks like defeat. It looks like Paul is the loser. Now go back with me to chapter 4. Our text today, he says, verse 8, we're afflicted. Again, echoing what... He's written in chapter, we are afflicted, not crushed, perplexed, not despairing, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. 
carrying the death of Jesus in the body so that the life of Jesus may be seen. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. This is what is seen. It is the crumbling of the real world around Paul. It is the crumbling even of Paul's own life. But then in verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. That's from Psalm 116. And in that psalm, the psalmist cries out, about he was on basically on the brink of death the cords of death entangled me and he cried out to God and God heard him and rescued him and so that's what he speaks about I was surrounded by death death had a hold of me and I cried to the Lord and the Lord saved me and Paul says that's me that's my life I face death every day in fact the death of Jesus I carry around with me but God is faithful, and God rescued the psalmist, and God has rescued me. And that's why I can say the same thing. We believe, and so we also speak. And then he just rather offhandedly throws out verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, I mean, okay, that's already done and taken care of. We spoke about that last time I preached on, on doubt. Jesus is raised. There's not even a discussion anymore. But... He who raised him will raise us also with Jesus. So how can I not be despairing? What am I believing that I can speak of? I am believing in the power of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and in that resurrection, he will raise each of us, says Paul. He will raise all of us and bring us with you, that is his readers in Corinth, into his presence. And therefore, what we do is for your sake, that, that God may have the glory. Now he goes on to say at the very end of that, this light, verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So even though Paul, what is seen in Paul's ministry is trouble and persecution and, quote, failure, what is really happening is that Paul both in himself is being prepared for an unseen reality, for an eternity, but he is also, by means of his, quote, failures, his humiliation, he is sharing the gospel of Christ, which is life to his hearers. In, in what they are hearing, they too are now being brought into an unseen reality where life prevails and not the death around them. So, as one commentator says, the eternal perspective and hope in things to come sustained Paul in the midst of temporary sufferings that mark his ministry. In other words, what we see around us is difficult. What we see around us is death. What we see around us is the natural unfolding of this world and its cycles. And that is wasting away, Paul says. Just like his inner, excuse me, his outer self, verse 16, is wasting away. What you can see of Paul, what you can see of the world, what you can see even of your own life is wasting away. And that's just the nature of the seen reality. So what should that cause us to do? Well, it focuses then on, on what is unseen. As I was mentioning to somebody earlier, 
the chapter break between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 is probably one of the most unfortunate chapter breaks in all of our translations. You realize, of course, that the Greek manuscripts weren't written, written with versification or chapters. They just went on. And unfortunately, the uh, translator who put the chapters and the verses in here broke the middle of Paul's thought because he finishes verse 18... The things that are seen are transient all around us, but the things that are unseen are eternal because we know. Just read it that way. Because we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. So, so God has shined his light into the darkness of sinners' hearts, and in that light reveals the life that is in Jesus Christ. And in that life then, Paul has hope, not for the things of this world, but for the world yet to come. Calvin says, the decay is visible, the renovation is invisible. We don't see what's going on, but Paul says, what's happening to me is building up in me an inner self that is being renewed. Day by day, the things that he faces are challenges, our troubles, our afflictions in this world are meant to, if you will, break this world's hold on us. I'm thinking of that great Groucho Marx line, you know, what are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Are we going to believe the word of God or, or our eyes which see this world and it's fading away? So the unseen things that are, that are eternal are not grasped by sight. Paul says, no, we, we live by faith, not by sight. Verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. What is our faith? Our faith is that the unseen things are more real than the things that we see. The, the reality of eternity is the only thing that stays and all around is decay. Our, our outer selves as individuals is fading away. Now, <clears throat> I used to think that was a long way away, you know, back when the knees and the hips didn't hurt like they do now, you know, when the arthritis hasn't affected the joints. I think that was a foreign world, you know. My grandpa would get up and groan and lean on his cane, and I'd think, man, you're old. Well, I just don't have a cane, but I have the groans, I'll tell you, and, and the pains. And, and you realize that this, this shell isn't made to last forever. It, it's not going to. It won't. And we have to come to grips with that reality, which is, in one sense, unseen. It's out there ahead of us. What we see now, though, is decay, deterioration. We see afflictions. We see pain. And so, what do we do in the face of that? Well, we're thrown back on God's provision, just as Paul is here. Again, the transition between chapter 4 and chapter 5 being not helpful at all. Paul says, the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, what is that? It is the building, the eternal body that God has for us that's going to last. This tent that I live in, says Paul, it's fading away. It's being destroyed. And therefore, my focus, my hope is on that which is unseen, upon the eternal which God is preparing for us. Again, as one commentator says, when the signs of age begin to appear in my body, I know that it is, in principle, finished. It's only a matter of time. I hope that's not news to any of you. 
But that's, that's just the way that it is. It's just a matter of time. The power of death within us is in the end irresistible. I have no power either within myself or outside by which my life can be renewed or extended in any ultimate sense. My one hope is God. And Paul then affirms that, that, that God is both preparing a home for us, as Jesus said at, at the Last Supper. You know, I go to prepare a place for you. So God is at work doing that, preparing a place for us, but he's also preparing us for that place. Paul says in verse 5 there of chapter 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So that's the connection. The connection between the seen and the unseen is God at work. Believe it or not, God brings afflictions that we might let loose of our hope in this life. That, that this life is transient, says Paul. The things that are seen are going to go. But if we think, hmm, you know, like Lucy, I don't want any downs. I just want ups and ups and ups. If life is going ups and ups and ups, you're not thinking about when the downs start. And so in a very real way, God's downs are his preparing us for the eternal up. Apart from those downs, we're not at all prepared. We think we can make our way through this life. As I've shared in my own testimony, you know, I, I faced death out on the oil rig and realized, you know, I was planning to live forever, and, and at 26, that was working pretty good. But what do you know at 26? You don't know anything. And to the extent that life is going well when you're 26, you have no reason to think differently. But the Spirit of God would say to us, no, this which you see, this which you count on, this which you live amongst is temporary. It is transient. It's going to be gone. And what you don't see, that is the, the weight of glory, that's the heavy thing. That's the solid thing. That's the eternal thing. Paul says, the light momentary affliction is precisely that. Compared to the weight of glory to be revealed, these moments are short and they are light. This comparison, says Calvin again to quote him, makes that light which previously seemed heavy and makes that brief and momentary which seemed of boundless duration. So Paul, encountering the reality of the things seen, recognizes that they are preparing him for the things unseen. And this is the unseen world that he declares. Jesus Christ being raised from the dead now brings new life to all who would put their hope in him. You can't see that. I can't see if you have done that. I can see if you're here this morning. You can see that I'm here. But none of us knows another's heart. Only the Spirit knows. And Paul says, those who have the Spirit have a guarantee that these things that are unseen in which we put our hope shall come to pass. The Spirit is the, the down payment. The Spirit is the earnest money, if you will, that we give or that, that the Lord gives to us. That's the guarantee. Not in something we see, not in something we feel, you know, not in something that we've relied upon for years, but only the Spirit can bring the assurance of faith. And Paul says, as a result then, verse 6 of chapter 5, we are always of good courage. 
What does the interconnection between the seen and the unseen mean? It means that in grasping the things that are unseen and putting our faith in Jesus Christ, putting our confidence in his word and his work, we now have good courage. Paul says, you know, even, even death is not a reason to lose heart because it's part of the transient world. It's part of that which is passing away. And even death itself has been overcome in the cross of Jesus Christ. That was the, the message, the victory of the early church. That is the gospel that they declared. And in a very real sense, it spread like wildfire through the ancient Middle East. Why? Because death is a reality that we all see, that we all face. We all come up against. There is no escaping it. And that ancient world had no hope at all in the face of the grave. And into that darkness of hopelessness, there came the light of the gospel. The light that declared that that, that, that forsaken Palestinian, Palestinian on the cross, in his death, overcame the grave. In his resurrection, demonstrated that the power of God was vaster far than the seen things of this life. And that message of hope spread, as I say, like wildfire. And people came to Christ because only in him was their hope of a world beyond this one. A world that was made especially for us. Made by God. A place for us to be with him forever. And so Paul says, I'm looking forward to that day. And yet, here is the takeaway, he said. Verse 6. Excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 5. So, whether we are at home, that is, whether we are in this seen world or away, that means we have gone now, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So that sort of throws, if you will, the ball back in our courts. You know, it's wonderful to, to hear the message of the gospel. You know, it, it's wonderful to have that recognition that Jesus died for me for my sins. But now we need to put that into the seen world around us. Because we're still here. This is the particular place and time that God has given to us to live out a human, earthly, seen existence. And Paul says, in that existence... We make it our aim to please the Lord. Now, I'm just going to finish on, on a practical note. One of the difficulties of COVID event has been, of course, that we have not been able to meet freely as, as believers. And, and to have us here together in this place today is just marvelous. Isn't it good to be among the people of God? It really is. But you'll perhaps notice that I'm the one doing all the talking this morning. That's not the Christian life as it's intended to be. We are to encourage one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. Pastor Wesley preached that entire series on the one another's of the New Testament. What is that about? That's about being embodied people in the here and the now with the challenges of this present life that are ours both, both to face with hope and to live in as servants of Christ for the sake of others. And so we, we need as we you might say, come out of this COVID, praise God. As we come out of this COVID experience, we need to rethink how it is that, that we do that to each other. How do we encourage one another? How are we encouraged? What, what place has the scriptures, those 
things that are unseen, what does that have to do with our daily lives, with the, the immediate particular material things? These are all questions that that's not just the church's problem. It's not just the elders to figure out what program is going to meet that need. But it's for each of us, you and me, to say, how is it that this unseen reality that the Lord has prepared for me, for all who love him, how shall that unseen reality be made manifest in my life, in my experience, in, in my being a blessing to others? You know, we, we can't spin away the reality of this life, but we can serve in the midst of it, and we can do so to the glory and the praise of God, even as Paul has done. Let's bow as we conclude. Father, we are creatures of flesh. There is no denying. And we are often overwhelmed by the challenges of the world around us or by the weakness and failures of our lives within. And I pray, Lord, that, that in the face of both of those things, we might be emboldened by the unseen reality that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that in him there is now therefore no condemnation. So that our lives might be lived in grateful service. Service first of all and above all to you. But from you then in service to others. That the love of Jesus might be made manifest. And that these eternal things would be seen in the way we live our lives. Eyes fixed on the life yet to come. And so I pray, Lord, this day that you may strengthen us as we even come now to the table, that, that in these elements and in this fellowship together, we may be equipped and deeply planted in your word to serve you until that day when the unseen becomes seen and we are all with Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.